bass. Don't you just love this guy right here? We love you, Aaron. I've been friends with this guy for like seven years. And I'm like, I want to follow him as he follows Christ. I'm just a huge fan of the Salvato family. Every time I get a hangout at Calvary Vista, I just feel like I'm living the dream, LTD. It's sunny with a high of 75. We're living in the, the like paradise here because I come from cold Oregon. So it's, it's really a blessing for me to get a hangout with you guys today. So thank you for just being so gracious and welcoming. And it's a big, humbling honor for me to spend this morning with you. So if you have your Bible, would you turn with me to Galatians chapter 4, verse 6? And I'm going to open up in a word of prayer. Father, I thank you so much that you are in the business of transmogrifying and changing lives. I pray that after this message, each person would walk away feeling like I was stalking them. That they would feel like I was reading their Facebook and checking out their Instagram and following their Twitter and Snapchat. I pray that what happened 200 years ago in London would happen today. I pray that this story would happen today. After Charles Spurgeon gave a sermon in the London Metropolitan Tabernacle, a little girl in the congregation looked over to her mother and said, Mother, how does that preacher know exactly what goes on inside of our homes? I pray that that would happen today, that you would give that exact rhema word that each person needs to hear because I don't have that ability, but you do. Psalm 139 says that all our thoughts are known from afar off by you. There's not a word on our tongue, but behold, you know it all together. Hebrews says all things are naked and exposed before your eyes. So I pray that because you know what each person is in need of, I pray that you would eerily, stalker-ishly, if that's a word, speak this morning to each person and all God's people said, amen. amen. How many of you have heard of Johnny Cash? Please raise your hand if you've heard of Johnny Cash famous country singer known for Walk the Line. How many of you have heard of Bob Hope? Bob Hope, the famous TV personality and comedian. How many of you have heard of Steve Jobs? Raise your hand if you've heard of Steve Jobs. Yes, the maker of your iPhone. Well, these guys, these titans were all contemporaries and they lived during the same generation. And they all died fairly recently. 20 years ago, we had Johnny Cash, Bob Hope, and Steve Jobs. Now we have no cash, no hope, and no jobs. Please don't let Kevin Bacon die. Maybe you've come here this morning and you feel like you have no cash, no hope, no jobs, and maybe you didn't even get your bacon this morning. But let me tell you this. Jesus came to give hope. He was in the business of be- being a hope dealer. Luke 4.18, Jesus, in his self-proclaimed mission statement, says this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news, not the blues, but good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to set 
to freedom those who are oppressed and to proclaim that the acceptable year of the Lord has come to give recovery of sight to the blind. Jesus is the ultimate dealer of hope. That's why the Bible says about Jesus that he's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Emmanuel, Messiah, the Prince of Peace, the Son of God, the Bread of Life, the Light of the World, the Way, the Truth, the Life, the Lion of the Tribe of Judah, the Door for his sheep, the Shepherd who lays down his life for his lambs, the Vine who gives fruit to his branches, the word of God made flesh, the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end, the resurrection, and the life. Should we go on? The prince of the kings of the earth, the amen, the root of David, the man child, the beginning of God's creation, he who wields the bright and morning star, he who holds the double-edged sword, the image of the invisible God, the anchor of hope, and the captain of our salvation. If you're happy that you follow Jesus, would somebody please say hallelujah? Come on, man. Come on. Get those hankies out. Wave some Holy Spirit fingers. We're going to go a little Pentecostal today, I guess. But I'm just really excited about this, to be honest. You're, you're allowed to have fun in church. Um, at my home church, I'm like, listen, you might not agree with what I say when you come to service, but you're going to have a good time. And that's what I hope today. I hope you leave saying, I had such a good time that I'm going to go be a lump of sunshine, light of the world, and I'm going to go spread God's hope to this generation because that's what our generation needs. We live better than kings used to live, and yet we lack hope. Jesus came to heal broken hearts, to give sacred optimism, Jesus joy and holy happiness. The Bible says that Jesus was anointed with the oil of gladness above all his fellows. So I say we follow in his footsteps and be imitators of Christ and have the fruit of the spirit, which is joy blooming from our lives. I'm just saying, this is how we should live. Now, one of the things that Jesus did on a historical level to give his first century audience hope was he did something that had never been heard of in his generation. Jesus had the chutzpah and the audacity to call God Father, Now, we're so used to praying to God as Father and singing, you're a good, good Father, that's who you are. And Christianity's been around for 2,000 years. We just assume that God is a Father because that's most of our backgrounds. However, when Jesus called God Father, that was never, that had never been heard of. I mean, it was subversive, it was revolutionary, it was iconoclastic, it was newfangled, it was totally fresh. Nobody thought that God was father. Now, it's not technically true to say that Jesus was the first person to call God father, but he was the first person to talk about God as father in a way that brought people hope. Here's what I mean. The Greeks and the Romans, they celebrated uh, Jupiter as the chief Roman deity. His name literally means Deus, Pater, Deus means God, Pater means father. The Greeks, they celebrated Zeus as they called him the father of gods and of all people. But when the Greeks and the Romans spoke of the gods as fathers, they meant more often than not that the gods were dads in the sense that they created humans. Just like you're here because your dad created you with your mother, the birds and the bees read Song of Solomon for more information. That's what they meant when they talked about the gods. They said the gods had created humans. But they didn't think that these gods actually cared for humans. For example, if you displease Zeus, uh, you might get your liver eaten out for the rest of eternity. Or he might hurl lightning bolts at you. 
So the same way they spoke of the gods as fathers, the Greeks also spoke of earthly dads that created children but abandoned their kids. When Jesus spoke of God as father, he wasn't just talking about mere creation, procreation, not God as a mere progenitor, not God as somebody who brought you into the world. He talked about God as somebody who actually does child rearing, somebody who actually cares about you. He said that your father knows the number of hairs on your head. The average redhead, it's been calculated, has 90,000 hairs. And your God is a father who cares so much about you that he counts every hair on your head. Jesus said, fear not little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way, our father. Jesus said, if you earthly parents know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more does your heavenly father know how to give good gifts in the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift comes from above from the father of lights in whom there is no shadow of turning. Nobody in the first century dared to call God father and Yet, look at what Paul writes in our text. Let's take a look at Galatians 4, verse 6. If you're in Galatians 4, verse 6, would you please say hallelujah? Hallelujah. This is what Paul writes. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, what's that phrase he uses? Say it out loud. Abba. Father, revolutionary, crazy. Paul's first century audience would have thought he was cuckoo for his cocoa puffs. They would have thought he had smog in the noggin, loco in la cabeza, non compos mentis, absolutely loony. And yet Paul, inspired by the Spirit, says that we call God Abba. Abba is the Aramaic word for daddy. The word Abba is expressive of an especially close relationship to God. We get to call God Daddy, Father. Now, this wasn't only a shocker to the Greeks and the Romans. It was also a shocker to the Jews. The Jewish people did not believe that God was your daddy. You remember Manoah in Judges 13.22, who was to be the father of Samson. He was visited by a strange guest, and upon realizing who that visitor was, Manoah said, we have seen God and must surely die. If you practiced Hebrew Judaism, you believed that if you saw God, it would kill you. The only person who was allowed to go into the presence of God and not die was the son of Aaron, the high priest, who once a year on the Day of Atonement entered into the Holy of Holies in the temple. And the Jews believed that there, the presence, the glory, the Shekinah Kabod of God dwelt. But unless you were a son of Aaron, if you saw God, you would be killed. And yet when Jesus dies on the cross, something happens in the temple Jesus dies on the cross and the temple veil that separated the son of Aaron from the common folk is split in two. And now God says, come boldly to the throne of grace. It's open house today, baby. And that's what Jesus is saying. You can all come and talk to God as father. Now, 
It's even cooler. Did you know that in Jewish culture, if you were really sad, if you were expressing grief, you would sometimes rip your garments in two. Now, if you were really trying to denote and, 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 and express provocative grief and evocative sadness, you would tear your garments in two. Sometimes you'll see that happen in the book of Acts when they're mad at the disciples. They'll tear their garments in two. Well, God, when Jesus dies, is tearing the veil or the garment that separated his heart from the common folk. He's saying, it grieves me that there was ever this barrier between my heart and my people. And so Jesus dies and he rips it in two. Isn't that awesome? That's what God does as your father. He cares about you. You say, okay, Ben, that's cool history or theology, I guess, or cool scripture references, but what does that mean for me today knowing God is my father? How does that bring me hope? Here's what it does for you. In Romans 8.15, Paul would hijack this phrase that he used in Galatians 4.6 and repeat it when he said, we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, same phrase, Abba, Father, Paul says the result, the ramifications, the consequences, and the byproducts of knowing that God is your father means that you don't have to be scared of anything. We have no longer received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father, now we don't have to be afraid. The most repeated commandment in the Bible in this book more than 200 times is don't be afraid. I, wanna, I want you to think about what makes you scared. You no longer have that spirit of fear. You have the spirit of adoption by whom you cry, Abba, Father, Papa, Daddy. What kind of life would you live if you believed that the God who created the universe was your Papa? What if the God who made Gentoo penguins that can swim 22 miles per hour, the God who made little blue penguins that are 16 inches tall and can fit in your pocket, the God who made emperor penguins that are four feet tall, fat, and tuxedoed, the God who made hummingbirds that can fly in reverse, the God who made blueberries, which tastes like hope feels. The God who made neutron stars. A neutron star weighs more than all the continents on the earth put together. It can weigh more than 200 billion tons, and yet this neutron star can fit inside a teaspoon. What if the God who created Canis Majoris, the largest known star in the universe, and the God who created 6,000 stars which are visible to the naked eye. While there are actually more than 100 billion stars in our galaxy and billions of other galaxies are known, what if the God who made kangaroos that carry their babies in marsupial cute pouches, the God who made wombats and rainbows and waterfalls, what if this God said, who's your daddy? I'm your daddy. What do you have to be afraid of, son? When you walk with God and you know that the creator of the universe is your daddy, you ain't got to be scared of nothing. What kind of life would you live if fear wasn't a factor? If impossible seemed more like a dare instead of a declaration? What kind of life would you live if you let all your reasons not to fear outnumber your reasons not to try? What kind of life would you live if you believe that it is not the power of darkness that is to be feared? It is fear that gives power to the darkness. 
suddenly you would say, the battle is not mine, the battle is the Lord, so I'm going to take up the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, the shield of faith, which can quench every fiery dart of the wicked one, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace, fight a good fight, wage a good warfare, go hunt some demons, do a dent in the kingdom of darkness, and put to flight the empire of evil. You become unstoppable because the God of the universe says, I'm your daddy. Now, if you don't believe God's your father, and if you've come here feeling like God's against you and not for you, you're going to be scared of everything. Because when I don't believe that God is my father, suddenly I'm terrified of everything. I'm a scaredy cat, naturally. And if I don't believe that God is for me and God is my father, I'll be terrified of everything. I'll be eating bacon and I'm like, oh no, God, there's a hair in my food. God's like, Ben, you're eating bacon. There's a pig in your food. And that's what you're worried about right now? So what is a dad? A dad is somebody that you look up to no matter how tall you grow. A dad is somebody who carries pictures where his money used to be. He used to have money in his wallet, then he chose to bring you into the world, and now he has pictures of you where his money used to be, i.e. in his wallet. And I think of my earthly dad. He, He so shows me who my heavenly father is. My earthly dad, he has the coolest laugh like, do you ever, do you, do you know anybody who laughs funnier than they joke? My dad has really good jokes, but he's got an awesome laugh. He's a preacher, right? So I, I, I love, when I was in high school, my dad would sometimes do chapels at our Christian school, and all of my friends were so excited to hear my dad teach because they wanted to hear his laugh. He's got this rich, resonant James Earl Jones, Santa Claus, deep, buoyant, guttural, charming laugh. That was a good impression, actually. Now, if you didn't know my dad and you heard him laugh all the time, he's known as a laughing preacher, you would think that it's just airy-fairy, happy-clappy, hunky-dory, A-OK, pie-in-the-sky, wishy-washy, sunny with a high of 75, that it was all jelly beans and Skittles and lollipops and unicorns in his life. I mean, you would think he had a very easy life because this joy just radiates off of him. But the irony is, my dad has gone through hell. When he was my age, his wife died in a car accident. A few years later, my oldest sister, his daughter, died in another car accident. My dad's gone through like intense stomach sicknesses. My oldest brother has Crohn's disease. I mean, he's gone through hell. His dad died when I was a little kid. I mean, my dad's gone through the ringer. And yet the interesting thing is he's like filled with laughter. How does that happen? I'll tell you. My dad believes that Jesus Christ is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings who put death to death so we don't have to be scared to death of death. And at the place of the skull, Genesis 3.15, Proto-Evangelion, at the place of the skull, he crushed the skull of the serpent. And Jesus turns the tomb into a womb, the casket into a cradle, the burial place into the birthplace because Colossians 1.18 says Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. And so he believes that if we die, if we're going down to the grave, if we're going down, we're going up. 
if you're picking up what I'm throwing down. So he says, oh, death, where is your sting? And oh, grave, where is your victory? Death does not have the final word. We're all blood brothers and blood sisters by the blood of Jesus. And we all share the same heavenly father. And one day this father is going to throw a great big heavenly reunion called the marriage feast of the lamb. And we're going to party like it's 1987. Death does not have the last word. Can I get an amen to that? Now, when you walk with God, no matter what you go through, Jesus said, I give you a joy that no man can take from you. Why? Because no matter what you go through, you have all the promises of God working on your account. Peter says we have all of his great and precious promises. Paul says all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus. So you get to say, Genesis 50, 20, what the enemy means for evil, the Lord means for good. He turns my sorrow into joy, my mourning into dancing. He gives me the garments of praise in exchange for the spirit of heaviness. I would have despaired, but I believe to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord, because those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not faint. Even if my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up for lo, I am with you always, even to the ending of the age. I will never leave you nor forsake you. We have not received the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father, and his spirit testifies with our spirits that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, we will also be glorified together because no weapon formed against me shall prosper. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but spiritual, mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds and neither life nor death nor angels nor principalities nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, neither height nor depth, nor any other created thing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 15, 4. Now these things that were written were written for our learning that through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, we might have hope. Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing that you may abound in the power of of the Holy Spirit. So why would we be gloomy Christians for crying out loud? I'm serious, man. I'm just saying. God's my papa, man. How cool is this? You say, Ben... I want to believe this about God. I want to believe he's my, my father and I have all of these promises working on my account. But the problem is I failed God. I'm a prodigal son. I've fallen short of the glory of Abba. He couldn't possibly be for me. Do you ever feel like you're an exception to the rule? The Bible says that the path of the just is like the shining sun, shining ever brighter into the perfect day. The Bible says that even if we sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light unto us, but we think, no, that couldn't apply to me because I have failed my father too much. Well, let me tell you a little secret. When I, when I was in eighth grade, 
I played basketball for this team called the South Medford Generals. And let me tell you, I was horrible. I scored for the wrong team the first play of the season. I was always dribbling the ball off my feet, always turning the ball over. In short, I made it harder for my team to win. And yet at the end of the year, we got to the championship game. We worked our way up at the you know, final tournament. We got to the championship game. We played our rivals, North Medford, and we beat them. We won the championship. And I got to wear, along with my teammates, this fake gold medal around my neck, hashtag squad goals. I just felt like I was bomb.com, LTD, living the dream. I'm the man. You know, I just felt awesome. But now that I'm older, I look back on that experience and I realize that the reason we were champions was not because I was good. No, I scored for the other team. The reason we were champions is because we had this kid named Kyle Singler on our team. Now, Kyle Singler went on to win a state championship against Kevin Love. He then got a full-ride scholarship to Duke University, played for Coach K for four years, became Final Four Player of the Year, won a national championship with Duke, got his picture on the cover of Sports Illustrated, was then drafted to the Detroit Pistons, got second-team All-NBA rookie squad his first year, Then he was recently traded to the Oklahoma City Thunder and he plays for Kevin Durant, raking in $5 million every year as an NBA professional basketball player. He was on my team. (laughs) Do Do you see why we won? I am more than a conqueror through Kyle Singler who overcomes North Medford. The title of my message today is The Singler Effect. The reason I'm a champion is not because of who I am. It's because of who my star player is. Yes, I fail and score for the wrong team. But you know what? I ran into my coach a few years ago and I said, wasn't it awesome when I got to play with Kyle? Wasn't that such a fun year when we had Singler on our team? My coach said, yes, it was fantastic. Our whole game strategy was just give the ball to Kyle. That's all we did. We just kept feeding the rock to Kyle. Ben, you score for the wrong team. You dribble it off your feet. So when the rock gets in your hands, you dish it off to Singler and you're going to get the quasi gold medal around your neck. In the same way, Abba Father in the analogy is always crossing people over, breaking their ankles. He's all wet, splashing his jump shots. He's dunking all over people's faces, posterizing them. He's getting 40 points a game, 12 boards, 13 assists. I say, Abba Father, you're amazing. Can I be on your team? And Abba Father says, what shall we conclude from these things? If I am for you, who can be against you? You are more than a conqueror through me who has overcome the world. Here's the gold medal around your neck by default, not because of who you are, Ben, but because of who you belong to. Can I get an amen to that? So no matter what we go through, we know that because God is our father, that's why we're over overcomers as the verse can literally be translated. And by the way, like even if you do feel like you metaphorically score for the wrong team, even when I do feel like a failure You do realize, right, that our favorite characters in the Bible and even historically were huge failures too. Last time I came here, I gave a whole message about failure. And just like you might remember, we talked about Thomas Edison, who was told by his school teachers that he was too stupid to learn anything, and Beethoven, who was told he was a hopeless composer by his music teacher, and Harrison Ford, who was told he'd never make it in the movie business after his first small rule, and Vincent Van Gogh, who sold one painting in his entire life. No wonder he chopped off his ear. We talked about Winston Churchill, who failed sixth grade, lost every public office role he ran for, and then he became prime minister at 62, and Dr. Seuss, whose first book was rejected by 27 different publishers, and Abraham Lincoln, 
Lincoln, who lost an embarrassing eight elections, had a nervous breakdown, couldn't get into law school, failed at business twice, and then became our 16th president. And Walt Disney, who was fired by a newspaper editor because he, and I quote, lacked imagination and had no good ideas. The same is true with Bible characters. David had an affair, killed somebody, and was bipolar. Moses had temper problems. Noah was a drunk. Elijah was moody. Peter denied the Lord three times when a little girl peer pressured him. (laughs) Jonah went in the opposite direction God called him to preach him before leading the greatest spiritual awakening in Old Testament history. Paul was the worst persecutor against the church before he became the greatest preacher for the church. The Bible says the righteous may fall seven times, but they rise again. Just like Jesus, the righteous one bled from seven places on the cross, but he rose again. The greater the fall, the greater the rise. Jesus rose so you could rise. So throw water on the fire of your fears and throw gasoline on the passions of your dreams. Because Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It's the courage that to continue on that counts. And it's not about how high you climb. It's about how high you bounce back when you hit the bottom. I fail, but God's love never fails. And that's what I've got to focus on. I may fail, but God's love never fails. And as we draw to a close, you might be here saying, well, Ben, if all this is true about how much my father loves me, that I can cast my cares on him because he cares for me. I can turn my cares into prayers because he is for me. If this is really true, then why would my heavenly dad allow me to suffer so much? I asked that question when I was 19. I'm going to end with this. When I was 19, I drove to Southern California. I live in Oregon to tell this girl that I dated on and off in high school that I wanted to marry her because I thought I did. So I take her to a Mexican restaurant and I say, I know I was a bad boyfriend in high school, but I'll be a better husband and I really want to marry you. She said, did you ask my dad? I said, yeah, I asked your dad. He said, no, but I just said, why you got to be so rude? I'm going to marry her anyway. (laughs) I'm kidding. I didn't say that last part. I said, I want to marry you. I want to be with you. And she said, well, let me think about that, which is always a bad sign. A few months later, I found out that she married my best friend. So for an entire year, I was the most depressing and depressed person in the world. It was like death cab for cutie, dashboard confessional, under oath, playing on my speakers, the blinds drawn, the hair in my face. I was the most depressing preacher. I've been a pastor since I was 18. So you should have heard my sermons when I was 19. So depressing. I'm like, if I can't be with this girl, God, I want to be a monk in the woods. For a whole year, I was devastated. I was depressed, bleeding heart, lost, romantic. Why didn't you work this out, God? You're my father. I wanted this relationship to work out. So for a whole year, I'm despairing and, and, and devastated. And then I walk into church on a Wednesday night and, and I see this Mexican walk into church. Blue eyes, blonde hair, this like exotic Hispanic mix. 
And I'm like, lo, my redemption draws nigh. (laughs) This is a year later. And I go up to her and I'm like, excuse me, I believe one of my ribs belongs to you. (laughs) Is your name Faith? Because you are the substance of things hoped for. I was reading the book of Numbers and I realized I don't have yours, so... My name's Will, God's will. Is it hot in here or is that just the Holy Spirit burning inside of you? Because you make the Queen of Sheba look like a hobo, yo. I mean, I didn't use all those pickup lines. Those are just some freebies for you teenagers. No, honestly, I went up to her and I needed to think of a romantic line. So this is what I did actually say. I said, will you go with me to Taco Bell? She's Mexican, Taco Bell, it works out good. (laughs) So I'm sitting, her name's Nisha. I'm sitting with her in Taco Bell. And come to find out, my mom and her mom used to pray together when we were babies that we would marry just the right person. And they had no idea that we would go on to marry each other. So I ended up marrying this girl, Nisha. I call her the Nishinator. We just celebrated our seven-year anniversary a couple days ago, and I'm like, oh my goodness, how does this work out? Now I'm like, God, thank you so much that you allowed me to go through that for a year because had that relationship worked out, I would have looked at the ring. Had I put a ring on that, I would have looked at the ring and said, this is the smallest handcuff in the world. And she would have said the same thing. But now that this ring is on the Nishinator, I can say, this is my precious. Thank you, God. Friends, follow me. In all seriousness, whatever you go through, hear me. Father knows best. Do you remember that TV show from back in the day? I don't. It was before my generation. Father knows best. Every exit is an entry to somewhere else. When your plans don't work out, it's because Father has better ones. He has empowered you to be game changers, world shapers, risk takers, and history makers for the kingdom of God. And because the creator of the universe is your daddy, you don't need a mountain of faith to move a mustard seed. You just need a mustard seed of faith to move a mountain. So stop telling your God how big your mountain is and start telling your mountain how big your God is. Let's relax and sit back because every setback is a setup for a comeback. And just because you go through hell doesn't mean you got to smell like smoke. You might be at your rope's end, but you are not at your hope's end. You might be knocked down, but you are not knocked out. You might lose the battle, but you will not lose the campaign because of Abba Father before you. Who can be against you? Can I please get a hallelujah to that? (laughs) Father, we thank you so much that you are our daddy. We thank you that you design our deliverance before ever man could devise our destruction. We thank you that Jesus rose so we could rise. So I pray that we would be a group of people who attempt great things for God, expect great things from God, go big and go home. We love you in Jesus' name. Guys, thank you so much for letting me hang out with you. I love your faces. 